Good morning, church. So good to see everyone today. I am Beth Portal, and this will be my last week as your worship day. That's what I was waiting for. Oh, okay, good. You got the cue. Okay, good. Well, I hoped there wasn't that, but that's okay. So we have just a few announcements today. Um, Lillian Faith Circle, they are busy. So they will be making Buckeyes on October 4th, which is a Tuesday at the American Legion Hall in Lithopolis. Uh, let's see, nursery volunteers. Shelly will be making the schedule for all nursery volunteers. If you are interested, please get with Shelly. Um, you do have to be safe sanctuary trained, but the training is available if you need it. And that is all of my announcements, if you can believe it. This has been an easy month. It's a short scripture, too, if you write it in. All right, let's quiet our hearts as we prepare for worship. already says or whoever prelude says let us prepare our hearts and minds for worship and I don't know about you but these preludes do it for me I need that time to gather my thoughts and all that music always helps me so thanks Nancy let's all stand this morning and give thanks
picture of him. I guess I've been feeling the Gaithers lately because we've done a lot of Gaither music. This is a good old Gaither hymn. I hope you remember it. I hope you recognize it. If you don't, just follow me and sing along. It's a great song. Please join me in the opening prayer. Great Triune God, Christ's power has been at work for centuries in our world. Yet sometimes we look at our world, our nation, our hearts, and see signs where we fall very short of your kingdom. Lead us from our listlessness. Awaken our souls to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Lead us to transform ourselves, others, and our world your image. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning, church. Good morning to those online. Hello to you as well. And we'll be entering into a time of prayer with our church. And I want to just share with you that if uh, you're visiting with us here today, know that we do have a, a faithful group of people that pray for our prayer requests. We'd love to pray for yours if you brought one here today. You're welcome to do that. Uh, the best way always is to send an email, and that is to prayer at groveportumc.org. Uh, that will then be distributed, and also uh, eventually it will also be passed on to our um, prayer concerns that are listed in the bulletin as well. Speaking of those that are listed in the bulletin, we want to share those now and just update those from Friday when this is printed in. Uh, first of all, we want to say some praises. We always want to praise Susan Stauffer's routine scans. We're good, and so we're praising that here today. Uh, Susan, you're all probably up at the beach house and all that stuff, but we're excited for you. We're a little jealous of the beach house, but we're still excited for you. And uh, really, uh, we thank God because that has been a great journey, um, and we've seen God's hand in it. We also, uh, we mentioned this last week, but we want to continue, and it's never enough to say it again, but just the free Friday that we've been doing has been a huge success. Lots of generosity, not only from our members, church friends, and people in our community, uh, but those that come have been blessed in so many ways. And so we want to thank uh, that in hard times, our church is still doing things and those volunteers that make that possible, those who donate as well, and uh, just uh, to have the ability of our church doing that. A couple other uh, praises are just some of our people that were in hospital went home, uh, past the, uh, the printing of this, that is. We want to celebrate that Roy Shirley went home and uh, has been at home. We also want to celebrate Kay Carter is also at home uh, after both of them uh, going in the hospital. Uh, Kay spent a little time in uh, our Therapy is what I'm trying to say, but is home as well. Do have our sympathies that are listed there. We, of course, uh, continue to lift up the Boston family and the passing of his brother. 
Uh, we continue to lift them up. We also want to lift up the family of Amanda Brinson, who passed away. She's a co-worker of Kelly. And uh, we reached out to them to see if we could do anything. Uh, we haven't heard back yet, but uh, we know the family's being taken care of, and they had a, a service this past week. I do also want to mention, uh, we did have one uh, that uh, just heard about this morning, is that a long-term member of ours that we haven't seen in a while, uh, Dolores Slayer, we heard that she passed away a few days ago. We don't have any more details than that, but I uh, just wanted to pass that on to you. We'll try to find out more, uh, but that's all the information I have at this moment. Our other prayer concerns are all up to date there. We do want to always extend uh, our prayers to those in long-term care and maybe watching here today. So Jack, Carol, Annabelle, Charlotte, Beck, and Reverend Meredith as well. Uh, speaking of which, there's a special birthday this week uh, for Annabelle. And so, uh, Annabelle, I know you watch these faithfully, so we're celebrating your birthday this week. Happy birthday to you. And uh, as always, I think right now you are the longest, uh, oldest member of our church that I, I know of. So uh, we're celebrating that as well. So we are so thankful for you. Happy birthday to you uh, this week as we go through. I do also want to mention that uh, we have uh, printed in your bulletin those that are in military service. You want to lift up Jake, Nicole, Brandon, Justin, James, Bishop, Matthew, and Parker on these days as well. I uh, also want to mention that the altar rail is open here today, so if you want to come meet with God in a special way, you're welcome to do that. Uh, and just come on up and kneel. There might be some friends that come alongside you, place their hand upon your shoulders, and that's a symbol for you not coming to this altar alone, but uh, we're here together to lift each other up, and we're going to do our best to do that in every way possible. So let's now go to the Lord in a time of prayer. God Almighty, the one who created the heavens and the earth and even so doing knew that this moment would come to an end. God, all your ways are so much for us to comprehend. They're beyond our knowledge or extent of our depth of knowing. And yet, God, we know this more than anything else, that your love is true. That God, not only did you create this world in such a marvelous way and in the goodness of it put us on this earth, you gave us one another to cling to, to love, and to hold, and to keep each other accountable, to lean on each other in times of trouble. Of course, throughout the ages, you spoke through those prophets, you spoke through people that time and time again rose up to tell us and show us your name. But especially in Jesus Christ, your son, who came to this earth, we remember the glorious work, not only just teaching us the rules of the kingdom and how to live, but also, God, on all those ways where we would have fallen short, you paid that price. You paid for our sin, dying on that cross. On that third day, you conquered death itself, that you rose into heaven and gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit, gave birth to your church, that here and now, Lord, you hold the keys to death and Hades. And you promise us eternal life, Lord, we are restored and new once again by your love. This love that has captured us, this story that once again comes to us by those who walked with you, who not only walked with you, but saw you die, saw you risen again. May God, all throughout ages, we know in our own hearts and echo 
the Holy Spirit testifies to our own story that it is true. We give you glory once again. As we hear God, we not only lift up these things and remember your goodness towards us, but we pray for one another. We know that there's many hurts going on in the world. We know that many people are dealing with all sorts of struggles, but we pray. God, first of all, we pray for those who mourn this day, the passing of loved ones. Give them a peace like a gentle dove that comes and rests upon their souls. God, may they be filled with the Holy Spirit, not only in those times of mourning to have tears, but also in those moments of joy to remember their loved one and raise them up. God, we also pray for those who are sick, those who have been given bad news. We pray for doctors and nurses that work tirelessly to help and provide for people. Bring them back to full health. Lord, may your healing work not only be done by them, but may your Holy Spirit come and do more work than we even know in our medical knowledge. Vastly bring good people to health and bring about your kingdom work. God, we do pray for those who are around the world, especially those in military service, those that are first responders. We pray you protect them and keep them safe to go home to their families. We pray that you use them as instruments of peace and the discernment of evil. But God, that their work echoing on through the ages and healing a world that is dying. Lord, we pray for those that are seeking, those that are lost. We pray for those that are here today that are just struggling with all sorts of things, whether it be the financial times and the hardships that many face of trying to put food on the table and looking for jobs and trying to, to have, Lord, just the ability to, to continue on and make days and meet. God, we do come and we pray for those who are lonely, those that are going through times of depression, those that are going through hard times of being separated from their loved ones. We pray for them. For all the other cares of the world, Lord, that we know are too numerous to enumerate, but we know we leave them at your side right now, before your throne, trusting that your hands are strong enough to hold them. God, we pray for those prayer requests that come to us every week. And we pray for those that come here this morning seeking a special touch from you, Jesus, in their life. Give them the desire of their heart, Lord, that they may know your goodness. Be able to testify how great and good your work is. As we hear, God, we also pray for our church. We pray for the leaders of the world. We pray for the leaders around all spaces. Once again, choose your kingdom over all else. Finally, God, we pray for ourselves. Let this be a moment where we draw closer to you once again. Change our hearts, change our minds. May we surrender to you. Help us to become like Jesus Christ. And so we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, glory forever. Now comes the time in our service where we can give back. There are a few different ways that you can do that. Uh, you can use the Ezekiel app. Uh, you can go to the church website. You can always mail it here to the church at 512 Main Street. And as always, we have the offering plates here today. Uh, please rise for doxology as we present our offerings. there are so many ways that we can give offering to you. We can give our time, our talents, and the gifts such as we have here today. Lord, grant us the wisdom to use these for your purposes, not ours, to further your kingdom here on earth. 
the morning and um, I had one job, one job. <laughs> Today's scripture reading is from Acts chapter 4, verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Well, good morning again, church. Another short and sweet Bible verse. Again, you're welcome. You made it. You skated through so easily. We're going to give Next year, I'm going to get you, just so you know. It's going to be... Uh, yeah, we're going to get you. As we uh, gather here today, I uh, want to share with you that uh, good morning to those that will join us and welcome us later as well. But we are in a sermon series. Yeah. Woo! Okay. Uh, are you excited? I don't know. I saw an almost clap kind of going on there. So we'll try that again. I'm going to go over here. I didn't. That didn't happen. Oh, we got like the slow clap going on now. Like, all right, we're in a sermon series. Yeah, there we go, church. Wake up. You're alive. You're all right. It's good to be with you, but we're in a sermon series, and we're speed, or, uh, in a sermon series of John Wesley. Okay, okay, good, okay, so some of people are liking that good. So we've been looking at a couple of John Wesley sermons. This is the mixtape volume one where John uh, Wesley, uh, and your pastor Jonathan, that is, is picking some of his favorites. I call it uh, the greatest hits, but it's really your pastor picking some of his favorites in that. But also some of them are greatest hits as well. Now, the first week we looked at uh, the first sermon of his 53 standard sermons that he gave pastors and Again, he didn't say, like, go literally preach this as in word for word. But he said, this theology that's in here, preach this and your days and comings and goings. And go out and preach this, spread this scriptural holiness. And these things that are inside here, spur the church on, spur people on, spur people on. And so we looked at that first sermon the first week. Uh, then we looked at, you know, very originally, number two, last week. This week, guess what? Almost. I, I, I totally led you into that. Ha, gotcha. Number four, though. But number three is really good, too. But we're going to be looking at number four here today uh, just because of, uh, I think it has a little something else to say here that I think is worthy of, of doing, uh, uh, of, of sharing here today as we uh, gather together. So let's pray together. Lord, may the words of my mouth, meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. And God, once again, may John Wesley's words that were so filled with your Holy Spirit, so filled with the knowledge of Jesus Christ be contained in the scriptures. May it once again come to us today. And Lord, that if he was sitting uh, here in this room, that God, uh, not only would he have been in heaven and been sitting with you, but he would be proud of our church for not being listlessness, but God, striving for you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a couple words about our sermon here today is that this is sermon, as I said, number four. It was preached once again at Oxford. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, well, Pastor, They've all been preached at Oxford so far, and, and before the, the university itself, before those that were going in to become clergy and all these different things, were all the 53 sermons. No, they were not. And in fact, I'll tell you why at the end of the sermon here today. But this is preached, and you can imagine before a group of people that are, you know, of, of people that are kind of ministers, if you will, not only clergy, people that are trying to become clergy, people even younger than that, that were just kind of being brought up in the church in some ways, and so they would come and and even though they were in normal school years, if you will, they would come and hear these words uh, at their chapel time. The presence of, you know, we call it the pres they, they had different terms, but in our terms, presence of the university, if you will, over there, presence of, of the different, the, the different uh, school heads and masters and all these different things. And even people from the community would come and be there to remember that as he preaches this sermon. Because he's not preaching out to the crowds that are getting, you know, wild and crazy down at the bar, if you will. He's preaching to the choir, so to speak. Here today in a sermon. And the second, second thing to remember is that as he's preaching this time in history, the United States is just a British colony right now. And remember, this is a time where the, very much the British Empire, even though it still is technically, but back then this was a Christian empire. In other words, there was no separation of church and state like we think of it in United States terms. The church and the state were like hand in hand and supposed to be and strived to be during these days. And it was supposed to be overtly the head of state and the head of church, Christian in every aspect, striving for those best things as best they could. Well, this is sermon number four, and the title of it is called Scriptural Christianity. 
The Bible verse that John pulls from, or John Wesley pulls from that is, is, is Acts, again, chapter 4. And the key part of that he wants you to, to hear is this part right here. Remember, it's the coming in the Pentecost days when the church was birthed, and the Holy Spirit fell upon all the disciples that were gathered there and the followers of Jesus with them, and that mighty things were done. But he wants to remember this. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, as they talked about in his days, right? The Holy Spirit, they're synonymous. And in my sermon here today, I'll use both synonymously as we explore it. And so he took time to remember that in his sermon. He said, remember these days when this great reckoning happened and this great harvest of the people of God happened where people weren't just left wondering, well, Jesus went up to heaven, what do we do now? But they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And in fact, not only were they filled with the Holy Spirit, there were all these kind of miraculous things happened. Remember the speaking in tongues, and they went out and did miracles. They did all these different things. And he said, you know, in this sermon, he, might, he said to himself, he said, you know, those were extraordinary gifts, and they were given to, all, uh, given to this church, and it spread and built all these things. But he wants to stop there, and he says, but it's not really truly about those extraordinary gifts. And in fact, in his day, he looked around, and he said, you know, it's kind of a point of theology of were these gifts just to start the church off in the day and again they'll return to us and there's kind of this intermediate period or are the church are those gifts supposed to be present even in our own walk with Christ here and now? He says, you know what, I don't know the answer to that and we're not going to get stuck on that, but here's my point, right? <laughs> and here's his point is he said, those gifts were given for the second part of that, for the ordinary gifts, if you will, because the whole purpose of all those special things was the idea that they were all filled. Not sparingly where one person could prophesy and one person could speak in tongues and one person could heal people. But all of them were given the Holy Spirit to dwell in their hearts. Which meant every single believer had in their hearts those fruit of the Spirit. The love, the joy, the gentleness, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the, the self-control. That aspect was alive in their hearts. And, and that's what truly matters that he wants to focus on here today. So don't let's not get tripped up. With the idea of these miracle things happen, but we know that the purpose of those miracle things are the very things that we experience that anybody, any believer of any time can experience and have to the full. This is how Christianity started out. He wants to trace the path of Christianity of how maybe you were there that day when Peter got up and preached and maybe your heart was pricked, if you will, and maybe that brought you into repentance and into the life of Jesus Christ. In that moment, you'd be filled with the Holy Ghost yourself. And that in that giving of the Holy Ghost, not only would you have it, but you would, it, it would be one of these things where your spirit, you would have this, this blessed assurance, if you will, in your spirit that you were a child of God. And not only would you have this, but you would desire to live according to it. You would live, but it wouldn't be your life. It would be Christ's life living inside you. There'd be this profound, profound that is, peace with God, this justification by faith that we've talked about in other days. And furthermore, you would not fear the darkness of the world because you'd know in your heart the light ultimately triumphs. And so whatever you go through, you would keep that persistent spirit, that idea of continuing on into the love of God. And of course, not only would you be filled with the love of God for your own life and reflect that back to God yourself, but you would also be filled with love for your brother also. And you'd be so filled that you would do this out of love, everything would be love one another because Christ has loved us and we want to do the same to one another. In fact, these people, that these Christians had to be lowly in heart. They must have looked at things in their own eyes and looked at themselves and not sought much, but they wanted to seek not the praise of men, not the things of this world, but those that cometh from God only. And so they were meek and long-suffering and they were gentle to all. And they would work no evil on their own means other than by accident. They would go and be part of the body of Christ and strive to be among the church people, strive to be among learning and, and continue being upon God's people, continue to take the communion that's found there. They would abstain not only from evil, but they would have desired and thirst to do good to their fellow man. And so they would have helped the stranger. They would have been a fatherless to the orphan. They would have been people that fed the poor. They would have been people that helped those who labor and that, that wouldn't suffer in their laboring, but have some of the fruits of their labor. This was the Christianity that first started. And John Wesley wants to remind the people that. And everybody in the crowd, you can imagine, is going, yeah. All right, good job, Wesley. We're all studying this. You all know this. But thank you, Wesley, for reminding us this. Wesley's going to go on, right? And so he's going to remind us that this was the community that started. And that even though the priests and the elders of the towns lifted up their voice, and even though that these things would happen, the multitude believed. And in one heart and one soul where they were, they were crucified to the world, if you would. And the world 
was not only crucified to them, but the world turned around and didn't like them at all, right? And so it reminds us that these first Christians, although it was this amazing explosion, there were times of trial that they went through. And so he considers not only what it meant for an individual to have their life changed, but how that life change got passed along. And then what kind of happens there? And he reminds this church in front of all the, the clergy people, all the, the, the choir, if you will, he reminds them that second place, this, this Christianity, it spread to one another and it made its gradual way throughout the world. Because the heart of the people is if you know the love of God and you know what, what the sacrifice that God has done for you and for I, then the lovers of mankind we must see. Wesley puts it this way, he says, the, a lover of mankind, when they see the whole world lying in wickedness, they can't believe that they would be unconcerned at that sight, at the misery of those for whom the Lord had died. They would move to share the gospel, to share with other people and call them once again, to God's holiness and God's love. And so they labored at every opportunity. They did good unto all men, and they warned them to flee from the wrath, of course, and damnation of hell, but they did good to them as well, helping out the virtues and the temperances that were right for Jesus Christ and followers of him. They were even so unconcerned with all this, that, uh, all the world that was, that when the world kind of grew uh, against them, when the world rolled up its britches and said, no more shall this happen, that there were certain people that came across the church and said, we do not like what we hear. And so those people that were men of pleasure, if you will, they were offended about the gospel because not only were some of their number that they had caroused with, suddenly got on the straight and narrow, if you will, but also because when you see your friends start to say, I can't do this anymore, I'm going to follow a different path, it makes you turn inwardly. And they were convicted, but they were not convicted to the point of changing their lives. Instead, they persisted on. And so men of pleasure were offended. The men of reputation, that is, the people in charge of things, those people that deserve respect, that are used to being obeyed, that were offended because Christians began to understand and their lives were changed. And so they began to understand and saying, no, we're not going to do exactly what you say. What you say is evil. So we cannot do that. And when the threatening would happen, they would say, we fear not you. We fear God. And so the men of power were once again, offended, not only because they were not obeyed and all their whims, but also because all the flattering titles that were given, none were as good as the ones and homage that they gave to God and to Christ. And the men of trade called together and said, look, our trade is going under because these Christians are changing people's lives and the things that we have done are all of a sudden not being, there's no money coming in. Like the community is changing. Like we have an issue with this. And they came against the church. Yet the church remained persistent and was not swayed by the fact that this happened, though they came against them. And above all, John Wesley says, there were people of religion, men of religion. What he means by those is those people are the outward signs of religion that don't have the heart. The heart that came against this because to be truly changed all of a sudden changes everything. Be the devil We'll have you pretend to be a Christian all you want, as long as all day, and we'll celebrate it. But the moment you get real, then the people who don't have that inward change and is only outward suddenly understand and get put in front of a mirror, so to speak. And when they look in that mirror, they understand that they themselves must change as well. And so the men of religion also were offended. Yet even in this, it still turned the world upside down. They didn't stop there. Even though they came against things, even though there were trials and shames and reproach, the spoiling of goods, if you will, the mocking, the scourging, the imprisonment, the resisting even unto blood and shedding themselves and giving up their lives, they did not give up because they had God's Holy Spirit working in them and they knew it was worth everything else in their life. And in fact, they fought that good fight even when they were led as sheep to the slaughter. And even in their death, their words and their actions continued to speak and change the world. And John Wesley says, thus did Christianity spread throughout the world. Thus did it happen. Now, now you can imagine the people in the room going, okay, Wesley, we, we get it. Yeah, we, we studied that. Like, let's get on to the point here, right? And so you can imagine this room of choir people, if you will, of the preaching to the choir. John Wesley's still going. And then he says these words. He starts to change it in his act three, if you will. In Act 3, he goes from not only describing how Christianity started in people's hearts, how it's, in Act 2, how it spread to other people and to other places and challenged the world and started turning upside side down the world. But in Chapter 3, if you will, he stops, steps back. He asks this question that really we should ask always in all places and all times. 
He asked this question, but shall we not see greater things than these? Yea, greater than have been yet from the beginning of the world. Can Satan cause the truth of God to fail? Or his promises to become none and effectual? This is a strange sight to think upon a Christian world. A Christian world where wars would cease. Where the lives of all people would be so changed that destructions would come to an end. Where brothers wouldn't rise against brother. Civil discord would be destroyed. It'd be the type of place where righteousness and peace would kiss one another, as in Psalm 87. And with this righteousness, mercy would also be found, and that harmless as doves, people would be, this, this unspoken world though, that would be changed and uprooted and absolutely changed, this is what should be. He reminds the people word after word, and much more than I'll do here today, of the world that would look like if Christianity had continued on that path, right, of changing the world and changing the world. And so he asks, I'm going to close with a plain and practical application. Now, that sounds innocent. Like, put on your bootstraps, giddy up, put on your bulletproof vest, because here comes the bullet from John Wesley, because he set, he set up the church here in this moment. And he says, I would ask, where does this Christianity now exist? This one that was faithful, that we see in the scriptures, this scriptural Christianity that spread abroad in people's hearts, filled with the Holy Ghost, and not necessarily, again, once again, looking for the miracles and all these spontaneous huge things, but the things that those purposely were for that every Christian to have in their heart, the Holy Spirit. Where is, this, where is this place? Where do I pray? Where are Christians? Where do they live? Which is the country, the inhabitants of which I would go and see people filled with the Holy Ghost? He says these words, again, this was written in 1744, but he says these words, let us confess we have never yet seen a Christian country upon the earth. He says, you know, these days are days you never know when they're the last. Remember Noah, remember Daniel, remember Job. Remember this idea that all these persuasions, and, and I just want to steal your hearts, people that are going to hear me, because I'm going to start bringing it in just a moment to the people in this room, not you, but from St. John Wesley. I'm going to bring it here in just a moment. And so prepare your hearts, but just I want to just prepare you to also say, if you get pricked by the Holy Spirit, don't quell it down. Instead, let the Holy Spirit change your heart in this moment. He said it like this. He said, don't say your persuasion shall not prevail against us, even though they should really convince us. No, no, no. Instead, be humble before the Lord here today as we once again examine our own lives. And so he said these words to this room full of other clergy. Church of England, right? Supposed to be English. Uh, not only, sorry, of course it's supposed to be English. Supposed to be Christian is what I'm trying to say, right? It's supposed to be a state and a place. And, a, and it's supposed to be a nation that is actually not just Christian on the outside or Christian words. It's supposed to be Christian through and through in every way and every possibility. He says, brethren, I am persuaded better things for you. Let me ask you in tender love and the spirit of meekness, is this a Christian city? Is this scriptural Christianity that's found in the, in the scriptures, is it found here? Are we a community of people so filled with the Holy Ghost that our, our hearts show forth the genuine fruits of the Spirit? Are all the magistrates, the heads, the governors of colleges and halls and their respective societies, the inhabitants of the town itself, are we of on one heart and one soul? And is the love of God shed abroad in our hearts and are our tempers the same that were in him? If our lives are agreeable thereto, are we holy as he who has called us is holy in all manner of conversation? And he goes under mine. What I'm asking here is church is not those things, those opinions, if you will, that we can find in scripture and debate over. I'm talking about the very heart of Christianity itself. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is what it means to be a Christian. And the outward outpouring of that, is that what we see here? As John Wesley looks at those in the hall of Oxford. And he asks to you that are in authority over us. Gonna start naming out some people. <laughs> Here we go. John Wesley brought it sometimes. He's gonna bring it, just so you know. Here he comes. You and the authority of us, are you filled with the Holy Ghost? Are you lively portraits of him you appointed to represent among men? Are you all your thoughts and hearts and all your tempers and desires suitable to your high calling? That those who would follow you would call your actions dignity and love. That those actions would be the ones that would come out from the mouth of God when they hear your words. 
he turned, he has more words than me, so I'm just kind of give paraphrasing each one, but he turned to those that were, the people that were in the secret. And he said, those who tender the minds of sheep, are you filled with the Holy Ghost? Are the fruits of the Spirit in their life, are you full of love and zeal to set up his kingdom on earth? And does it fill your whole heart to do so? Or instead, do you understand these ideas that if we don't have this love and don't have this sense of God's urgency in our life, that all the learning we have here is just splendid ignorance, pompous folly, vexation of the spirit. No, are we better than that? And he turns to those who are there that are becoming or intended to become clergy. In other words, studying to become clergy. He says, you who are intending to become clergy, do you have the fruits of the spirit, the lowliness of mind and self-control? Do you relieve the outward wants, or do you bring souls to the true knowledge of the love of God? He says, I fear that this is not here, that we have not the pride and haughtiness of spirit, but impatience and peevishness and sloth and dolence and gluttony and sensuality, and even the proverbial uselessness is found among those who even want to become a pastor. Then he looks and says, all right, some clergy in the room. We talk to you now, right? And so we'd go, for those clergy, those consecrated to God, are we patterns for the rest? In our words, in our conversation, in our charity, in our spirit and purity, are we? Are we inwardly moved by the Holy Ghost to take upon this ministration? Do we know God and want Jesus Christ? Do we know these things and want others to have them? Do we have a burning zeal to save souls from death for the sake that we even forget to eat our bread because we're so concerned for others? Do we lay up treasures in heaven instead of on earth? And then he turned to the youth. You can imagine this going well but in modern times. But he turns to the youth of the place, those that are kind of coming and going through their school years and being part of the Oxford uh, community, if you will, even though they're not in Oxford proper, per se, in the sense of uh, the collegiate years. But he turns to the youth of the place. He says, have you the form and power of godliness? Are you humble, teachable? advisable, stubborn, or are you stubborn, self-willed, heady, and high-minded? Do you want to obey your superiors, or do you desire to despise those whom you deserve your tenderest reverence? Are you not conscious that day after day you pursue things that are a waste of time, that you don't put your studies and your, your strength, that is, in your studies, but you pursue those things that are fleeting? Do you sit there and do you not get drunk and uncleanliness and all that that is found amongst people? Is it still in you as well? Do you keep the Sabbath day? Do you take the Lord's name in vain? And he owns this up. He says, you know what? I own that I myself have been among that number. I stood before you all and I solemnly swore that I observed all those customs which I knew nothing of, those statues which I did not so much as read over, either then or some years after. If that's not perjury and if that's not not being filled with the Holy Spirit, what is and so these of the plague don't miss your high calling don't don't waste this time like i did in my younger years and so he challenges that room room full of clergy people supposed to represent god he says are we not a generation of triflers triflers with god triflers with one another and with even our own souls he looked at this crew and he said, so many of us don't even spend a single hour when we add it up in private prayer even in a week or even in our general tenor of our conversation and what we see, speak about and talk about. It's not filled with the Holy Spirit at all. He asked that place in that day, he said, is Christianity and the scriptural Christianity, is it in this place? Are we filled with the Holy Ghost? Are we convinced that what we're sharing here today and what we're spending our lives doing is really truly the scriptural Christianity or is it something else altogether? And if we're not the ones to do it, God will surely move through others and true Christianity will be restored maybe through the young or even inconsiderable type of people that none of us would, would think twice of, but how much it would prove to us that we have the iniquity over us if that type of true Christianity was to spread somewhere else instead of here, right here in the church and among the people that claim to be those that are after God. What would save us? Help us against these enemies, O Lord. Unto these and all things are possible to you, according to the greatness of your power. Preserve those, the, those in this moment that are appointed to die through judgment, and preserve us in a manner that seemeth good to thee, not as we will, but thou wilt.
end sermon. You didn't even give a blessing. There was no even benediction, right, as he ended. Now, you can probably guess this didn't go over so hotly among the people in that room. In fact, uh, this was the last time John Wesley was ever asked to speak at Oxford University at all, right? And so all the rest of his 53 standard sermons were all sermons that were not given at the university like these first four were. But yet his very words challenge because there's nothing in there that he's being really a jerk about. He's simply, truly, and heartfelt asking the question. The Christianity that was so clearly taught in Scripture of being filled with the Spirit. Now, I don't get tied up with all the gifts of the Spirit and all the, the miraculous things and all that because the whole purpose of those was to lead to the true change of heart. Does that exist in the place of Oxford? And John Wesley challenged them to say, no, no, I don't see it. And without calling out names, but he, without the, as we saw with people, he called out each one to say, does these tempers, the, the very passion of your souls, do they line up with what we see in Scripture? And he confessed that no, it was not. And so let us go to the Lord again in penitence. And I chose this sermon not only because of those words and to tell the story, really, but of course the one challenge of John Wesley was to, you know, kick open the coffin and come storming in here, you know, resurrected from the dead and to preach this Sunday. He, first thing he would pray, first thing he would preach that is not only salvation by faith and all these ideas, he would say, hey, church, are you filled with the Holy Spirit, right? <laughs> like, I mean, if you haven't gotten that in this whole message here today, that's, that's his number one question for Christians, that people that would follow, say they follow Christ. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Because that's the true mark of a Christian. And if that's your heart, and if your heart is testified before God that I am filled with the Holy Spirit, then all the other things are going to work themselves out. Right? You're going to do all the things God wants you to do. You're going to stick away from all the things God doesn't want you to do. You're going to continue to come and grow in faithfulness and gentleness and all these ideas of the fruit of the Spirit more and more each and every single day. And so number one, if he was here today, he would challenge us all, including myself. Now I say you all, not you all, I mean us. I'm saying us. But he would definitely have words for pastors in today's world as well. He would challenge all of us, are we filled with the Holy Spirit? But I also chose this because I think it really also shows John Wesley's idea of how the world changes. And what I mean by that is in so many ways, I think in our own days, we, we yearn so much to change the law before we change the heart. I don't know if you see that. I, I see that. I, that's just my perception. Maybe it's just my perception. But so many times in our country and in our world or even our state laws or local laws and all these different things, the idea behind it doesn't start with a heart change. It starts with people coming together, voting something in and making everybody else follow it, then hoping the change comes later, right? And if you look at John Wesley, how he described Christianity, it starts with individuals having their hearts changed. I don't want to miss that here today, right? That the world is going to change, not by us going out and triumphing or whatever we want to have, you know, pass through Congress or pass through the United States government or even beyond in the United Nations or whatever. The world is going to change because you and I share the Holy Spirit, the story of Jesus Christ with other people and they find the love of God. The love of God that's so contagious fills up their hearts that the things that they desired before change. Their outlook on life, the glasses they've been looking through the world changes. That's the way the world is transformed, and the world is transformed not only through the changed hearts, but through the suffering when people have to suffer because the world doesn't want what the gospel wants sometimes. But those people become communities that become changed once again, and eventually even the nations, as John Wesley would have it in this, as he was looking for his day in 1744, where is the nation that's Christian? Tell me, where do I go and find them? And honestly, if I think if he was here today and he looks at us as the United States, He'd say, wait a minute, hold on. You all are a free country. You can go and worship anything you want, right? And you're choosing not to be, want to be a, a, a community of people that really search after God as a whole. Like he would just be baffled by that. That our world, and I'm not saying us in here, but I'm just saying our world is in such a way that we would yearn for all sorts of things. You know, we would, we would throw up argument after argument for the idea of, of wanting, you know, sports gambling. And we can't feed our neighbors, right? And John Wesley would say, hey, before you go sports gamble or do all that stuff we're fighting for, go downstairs and feed some people out of the food, food thing we're doing, right? 
he would say, get together and do some good, people. Like, be the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Not only that, I think that as I look at the challenge that he had in here, the people that are offended by the early Christians are still around today. When you think of the United States as we are today, I think of that idea of the men of pleasure, if you will, are offended by the gospel. Now, this was really clear to me this week. I'm sitting preparing for my sermon. I think this was a Thursday afternoon. I was going through my sermon again and, and rewriting some things. Or not rewriting because it's John Wesley, but I'm rehighlighting different things and, you know, making some other points and stuff as I'm looking through it. And I'm watching, uh, not watching, but I'm, I'm listening to Spotify. You guys know Spotify? All right. If you don't know Spotify, real quickly, it's a, it's a free online, like, music thing. You can set up your own playlist and all that stuff. And you can listen to anything you want, but you've got to listen to advertisements if you're not, well, if you're too cheap like me to pay the five bucks or whatever it is to get, like, the non-advertisement version. Right? So I'm getting advertised to in the middle of this, and uh, something just, you know, something every now and then I look up, and I try as best to just ignore the advertisements, but I look up at something, and uh, it's an advertisement for Hulu, right? Now, if you're a Hulu fan, I'm not, that's fine. Be okay with that. But I'm, what I'm saying, the advertisement hit me wrong, because here's the thing that Hulu said. I look up, and, you know, and it's like, you know how advertisements are with outdoor shows. Like, they show, like, show after show after show, and all these crazy, like, violent kind of movement things, and people saying things, you know, get your attention, and... Uh, and then they kind of, they skip to some words, and the words were, and, and, you know, I, I caught half-winded, but it was something along the lines of find, next, obsession, you know, like, it was kind of like that, right? And, and I remember sitting there thinking, like, I'm reading John Wesley about being changed and filled with the Holy Spirit, about not trifling away our souls. And I'm being advertised to by Hulu in that moment to be obsessed and to spend my time, you know, as if, like, you hear about people that take days off work when they binge, like, a show when it comes out or something, right? <laughs> like, like, to trifle my time away, to find obsession and the, the allure of that. And I just remember thinking in that moment, like, now, again, if you're, if, again, if you're into Hulu, that's fine. It's fine. But I'm just saying the, their advertisement was not geared towards me in that moment, right? <laughs> and it was clear as night and day in that moment that this was not at all what John Wesley would want me to do or that scripture calls me to find an obsession. And even if I want to watch a show or two, that's fine. But no, not an obsession. We talk about the men of reputation offended. I'm always kind of moved because, you know, the number one growing uh, demographic as far as uh, religion in America and and other places like the Western Europe is those who are unaffiliated with any religion. Not necessarily atheists, but a lot of times atheists, but also agnostic. And so uh, Larry Flowers, who's still into a lot of uh, political things, every now and then sends me some fun texts and stuff like that. And one sent, he sent me this one this week, and it was really just depressing because it was basically, I am a secularist, right? And it was this advertisement that says, I stand for these things, and I'm a voter, and I am the number one growing demographic in America, so people look out. And it kind of said these things. When I vote, I vote to keep religion and govern- out of government and social policy. I vote to keep religion out of public schools. I vote to keep religion out of personal life, I keep, you know, and I'm going to paraphrase that, but they go into, like, their bedroom, and their, anyways, they do a whole bunch of stuff, and then I'm going to oppose, I'm also opposed to tax dollars, I only want them to go to evidence-based, not faith-based purposes. Now, I hear what they're saying in one hand, but I just got to ask, like, if you take all religion out of morality, you're only left with two options at the end of the day. I mean, if you, I don't know if you guys have realized this, but, like, I thought about this, but, like, you can't have morals at all, and so it's either anarchy, because that's just how it is, or it's survival of the fittest, which basically means whoever has the most power wins and gets their way, and everybody else deals with it. Like, that's it. That's the end of atheism and their morality. And, like, you can see this played out through the ages and played out through history, but you look at China and, and Russia, of course, and you look at what the things they've done in the past, the amount of people that have died under their rules, it pales in comparison to everything else in history. Like, don't kid yourselves. And, like, and I'm sitting there, I'm thinking these, these people that would say, and I understand there's an idea of, like, separation of church and state that we adhere to, but it's not to the nth degree where religion and state shall never, ever come across each other, that they must speak separate from each other in separate rooms at all together times. That's foolishness. And the only thing that leads to is death. Because at the end of atheism, no matter what you want to say, at some time, at some point, whoever is powerful It's going to be survival of the fittest, and the fittest people that are the most powerful in order to survive are going to trample on everybody else. It's death. 
and just know that if you're, you know, when I vote, that's one of the big things I vote for. There's, uh, you know, there's about five different things I really care about, but this is one of them. Like, separation of church and state to that degree, uh-uh, sign me out, not for it, right? And John Wesley himself would argue, I think, very clearly in his sermons, you cannot have a secular state that even remotely comes close to the will of God and God's kingdom. It is going to go far, far away. Are the men of trade in our day, you think of men of trade and all sorts of things, but just take pornography, billion-dollar industry. I remember just a few cycles ago, the presidential election, there was one presidential candidate, sorry, and I just remember uh, they were getting kind of popular, and then all of a sudden they mentioned about, like, no, actually, I'm against pornography. And actually, I'd probably I'd try to actually make it unlawful. Zip, gone the next day, right? <laughs> Never heard about that candidate ever again. It's left under the rug. Don't see anything here. We don't actually, no one's supporting this person. Like, uh, pornography's fine. Yeah, but no, right? As Christians, that is not the will of God in our lives and in the nation of our lives or in the world even. And the hurt that happens and the, and the destruction that happens through such things. No, men of trade, we offend. Or men of religion, I think John Wesley would say it this way, so many times we're triflers in religion. And it comes across kind of as weak, well, just show up, just kind of be good, but never give the gospel. Never call sinners to repentance. Never offer the Holy Ghost as the power of one's life to not only be filled with this huge love, this overflowing love that just pours into this cup like this big, huge waterfall, and it just splashes out, splashing everywhere into every single life across from you, into other people's lives. Never offer that and say, hey, live differently than the world. Live, be different. Be someone that God's called you and find the fullness that's in the scripture, of the fullness of scripture Christianity. John Wesley would challenge the triflers with God, those even clergy that would be okay with just sitting back and saying, let's just be more or less nice people. But never actually call the gospel message. They're going to be offended. But again, how does change happen? Remember, our, our, we, we sang just a few weeks ago, let truth be on us. Let it begin with who? John Wesley very clearly says, no, no. Start here. Live your life that it affects someone else, that their life is changed, that their life is changed, and they can beg and say, let us pray. God, as we're here today, we're challenged once again by Wesley's words that Again, we're written so long ago, but still challenge us today in our culture. And especially, God, as we just consider those words that what he said that day, while some people might have been offended, that's true, Lord. If we're not filled with the Holy Spirit, everything we do is worthless. So, guys, we're here today. Once again, we want to be people filled with the Holy Spirit. We beg and we plead and we surrender our lives once again to be under your grace. We offer our hearts to you. Where our hearts are hard or dead, may we once again revive them. Where our wills once again may be just yearning and straining at the reins to pull in the direction we want to go instead of what you're trying to gently lead us to. May our harness still slack in your hands. And once again, God, we want to see the world change. We as people, and just as John Wesley preached that day before people and that were supposed to be clergy people and was never asked to come back again, he offended them. God, help us not to be a people that would rather not be offended. Help us to be a people that would much rather find you, find life, and truly offer the gift of God poured out for so many for the forgiveness of sin. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as you're able for our closing hymn, Just As I Am. to stop. Um, we're frozen upstairs, so take your hymnals out. Turn to page 357, unless you know all the words to this hymn. Larry Hilbert, I'm sure you do. <laughs> and yes, we're singing all six verses. A hymn tells a story. 
got your hymnals out? Page 357. 357. It's good for you to do this once in a while. So you remember how to do it. <laughs> yeah. Give us a little intro there again, just the, the last. Thanks, Nancy. Promises of God are such that he or she that would ask, forgiveness of sins, he or who would ask that would have faith in Jesus Christ, that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit, the church as followers of Jesus Christ, that those who put their faith in him, may you not only be filled with the Holy Spirit, but may you be filled with the Holy Spirit that we saw in the book of Acts, that after they prayed, the place they were meeting was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. May that faith be with you now and forever. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 